0: Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 34 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here.
1: Just about that time, the Paediatric Network and NEST, the NHS Education of Scotland, they arranged for David Glanders to do some act training with us as a group, which was great. So just moved into this new area thinking, okay, I love CBT and those approaches, but I'm not sure if they quite work here. Because the reality, if you listen back to race. Episode, he puts this very nicely. The reality is that sometimes that may be appropriate, but sometimes people's context is that, well, the real- that's the reality of the situation. We can't necessarily outthink our way from this. There's a role here for being able to allow some difficult thoughts and feelings. So I did the workshop, and that was absolutely fantastic. And then I did that usual thing that you go back to your normal day to day stuff and leave the notes and handouts the, from the workshop in your bag for about six months, thinking that you'll magically learning by osmosis but they gradually started to do some more
0: act type stuff and then heard about Louise Hayes stuff. Peace Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week, it's part one of my chat with pioneering psychologist, Dr. Jim Lemon. You've just heard Jim talking about the introduction of ACT into his work. We cover loads more in our chat, including how Jim got into clinical psychology and a doctorate programme, the evolution of his career and how he landed in paediatric psychology and also his film appearances. Jim is an absolute pleasure to talk to. He's a humble and fun storyteller, and you'll also hear a taster of his pioneering work in the NHS. You might also be intrigued by his song choice. People Soup is a community of people who are interested in behavioural science at work and how we can make it accessible, fun and useful for ourselves and each other. At work, behavioural science has the capacity to enhance our well-being, help us be the person we want to be more often, and provide us with perspectives to enable cooperation, collaboration, and innovation. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, A first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. That was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behavior, events, and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasonings, spices and utensils. So welcome to People's Soup, where we aim to nourish the mind and flourish at work. Reviews are in for our last episode, which was part two of my conversation with Ricky Kielgaard. Thanks to everyone who tuned in, reviewed and shared it. Helen at Compass Therapy up in Edinburgh on Twitter said, Just finished wandering around with you both in my pocket. Fantastic listening to your discussion about creative hopelessness, so honest and validating. Looking forward to the full experience at the ACBS UK and Republic of Ireland workshop in November. Thanks, Helen, for being a fabulous pea-super. If you'd like to drop me your postal address, I'd be delighted to send you some PeopleSoup bookmarks. They'll help you keep your place. And if you'd like to find out more about the conference Helen mentioned in November you'll be wanting to have a look at acbsukroi.co.uk. And that link, of course, will be in the show notes. In other news, me and my pal, Dr Annie Gascoigne, have been getting creative, designing and delivering our Flexibility at Work programme, and we've reached the last module. Module 4 is all about flexible, contextual leadership. Whether you're a leader or someone who supports leaders, we'll share from our perspective – how contextual behavioural science can support a leader in the cultivation of a style that is authentic, whilst also allowing them to adapt to rapidly changing circumstances and events. We often find that leaders get constrained by a particular leadership model, or frustrated when they find the way they've successfully led a team or organisation for years ceases to be effective. We believe that contextual behavioural science provides leaders with an adaptable, flexible toolkit of skills and perspectives that will serve them throughout their career. Find out more and sign up at contextualconsulting.co.uk. It's on the 15th of October and will also be recorded, so I hope to see you there. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. And if there's an episode you particularly like, you can also drop some change into my virtual tip jar over at kofi.com. ficom slash people soup. And I'd like to send thanks and much appreciation to our most recent sponsors on ko-fi.com. They are Dr. Richard Coates, Lisa Falkingham, and Dame Melanie Walker. Thanks to you all. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part one of my conversation with Dr. Jim Lemon. Dr. Jim Lemon, welcome to People's Soup. Hi, Ross. It's, it's a privilege to be here. Good to see you. Well, thank you for making the time. Now, Jim, you'll be familiar with my research department. I know you're <laughs> <the UK laughs> Super. Yes. And I've got some notes on you here from them. You don't have as much of a social media presence as some of my other guests, but they have had a look around. Yeah, it's limited. I'll give you that. It's limited. Yeah. It's probably very sensible, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I find it hard enough to keep up with stuff in the real world so i'm kind of limited in what i managed to follow online
0: but what have you managed to dig up well i've got some more formal stuff first okay okay so dr jim lemon is a consultant clinical psychologist and is the head of medical pediatric psychology service in nhs dumfries and galloway that's all true so far and you've previously worked in child and adolescent mental health services adult services physical health Adolescent inpatient units and forensic services. Yeah, that's right. And moving on a few different areas over the years. But Jim, you don't look old enough to have that. That's very kind of say so. I guess
1: one of the things I really love about psychology is you never actually arrive, you know, you never sit back and think, Oh, I've got this now. I know it. You know, Mm. it's an ongoing journey. So you just learn new stuff. And I guess I've always been curious. You find out more stuff, I enjoy different areas, and then maybe move on to different stuff. There's a lot of transferable skills, but in some ways it's like a fresh start, so it gets you to to Mm. rethink, to pause, and and yeah, sure.
0: Mm. I will continue. I've got a little paragraph to read out. Jim has been using acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, with children and young people who have long-term health conditions and their families. This work is also extended beyond individuals and families to using ACT in multidisciplinary clinics with teams and on hospital wards he's been using the ACT matrix with individuals couples families and teams for several years and has been running workshops since 2015
1: sure is that the bio from the acbs the european island site is it, it, it is yeah yeah that world's all bit new to me you know and you have to refer to yourself as a third person <laughs> so it's like jima's writings at the moment this whole thing's a bit weird and he's kind of <laughs> talking about this stuff that he's done while he's also
0: observed himself thinking, really? Get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a, bit, a bit odd, isn't it? Writing about it ourselves is. in the third person. And then <laughs> it is. hearing some Egypt read it out as well. <laughs> well,
1: it's not that. It's kind of, uh, that, that's all good. And then you have to submit a photo. And I couldn't find one. So I think the photo is just a holiday snap with me still next to my daughter. And I had to sort of cut her out the picture. So hopefully <laughs> I'm looking kind of, Thoughtful and reflective, but I think we were just looking to see if we could see an ice cream fan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, we met about a year ago at the ACBS conference in Dublin, and I'd heard your name many times before that. People used to say to me, because I I do a fair bit of work with the NHS going around with my pal, Paul Flaxman, and people used to say to me, (laughs) Oh, you need to speak (laughs) to Jim Lemon, or Have you heard about what Jim Lemon's doing? And I thought, Well, Yes, I have. And I know much more about what you're doing now. And I sincerely regard you as a pioneer in bringing textual behavioural science to the NHS for patients, for colleagues and teams. And we're going to delve into some of that in a moment.
1: Which is funny because I was hearing the same thing about you. People were saying, oh, have you met Ross? Have you met Ross McKinsey? They kept saying the same thing. I guess in this conversation, we'll explain why that is. But yeah, I was having the same parallel experience where people were saying, you need to meet him because I passed where we weren't crossing but we were going to the same areas weren't we and even in that in dublin there was sort of three stories wasn't there? It's that main university building and people were saying oh have you seen ross he's up there and then i'd go up to the top floor and you were down to the middle one so it was this kind
0: of <laughs> this dance around for a few days wasn't it for sure we did finally meet we did finally meet yeah yeah mm. now some other snippets from my research team they say that you're originally a Brighton boy. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That is where I currently am. You may be able to hear some of your old pals, the seagulls. The seagulls. I can hear them there. Fantastic. I'm, I'm convinced they're preparing to take over the city. Uh, yeah, yeah. They've been working there for many years. And over lockdown, I think their plans have come to fruition. Have they? Yeah. Have they grown in numbers or strength or size in, in lockdown? They seem to have done. They seem to be really? just hanging around every bin, just emptying its contents. And... Yeah, because I'd heard that
1: the, the seagulls are down somewhat because there's not so much food for them, from the chips, from the, the bins and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and and not so long ago, I was swooped on having a nice little Eggs Benedict outside a cafe in Brighton by a, a seagull yeah. who nicked my last bit of bacon and knocked everything yeah. over. Yeah, they take no prisons, do they? No, I'm guessing that's why you moved, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I didn't move because of seagulls, I love Brighton, what a, what a great place No, so I, I grew up there, so I, I know it well I still go back there, not at the moment, obviously But I still go back there quite frequently It's always, yeah. it's always great But you know, you have the seagulls down there And I, I still miss the sound of the seagulls There's something very evocative about it But I also, my family moved up to Wales They live in in way And they have the goats that come down from the mountains And during the lockdown They've been coming down to town and kind of swaggering around like a gang, you know, so it's this, these environmental niches that animals are, are making the most of at the moment.
0: Yeah, and they do. I think I've seen a clip of that. They do yeah. really get their swag yeah, on. They got a swag on, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I wish I could walk like that, yeah. Now, now, finally, and this may be a secret, but this says, given your extensive work in using a particular perspective-taking tool, my research department has picked up some noise that you've been approached by Hollywood to work with Keanu Reeves and Lana Wachowski in the new <laughs> Matrix movie, in a kind of cameo role.
1: Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? That's, yeah. uh, that'd be nice. I'm so pleased because the, the Matrix 4, isn't it? is not it that coming out? It's supposed to come out next year. Yeah, I think it's next year. Yeah, because our Matrix, you know, the tool, The Matrix, how long have we been using that for? It's going back a few years now, isn't it? Mm. And there's some great jokes you can make about The Matrix and seeing things through The Matrix and I'd make quotes and references from the film but increasingly, less and less people got, got the reference. So initially, you'd make some reference, like, you know, what if I was to show you a way to get psychological flexibility? You, you, you know, and, and maybe a couple of people might smile politely or chuckle. But over the years, less and less people have, have known what I'm talking about. And then when I say, you know the film, The Matrix, canaries, And uh, someone either says, oh, yeah, I think my dad watched that once, <laughs> or... Or they say they weren't born. I said, yeah, it was, it was kind of big in the late 90s. But yeah, well, it wasn't born then. So hopefully when that film comes back out, I can bring those jokes back. I say jokes, they're not necessarily funny, just off the cuff remark.
0: Yeah, but we can reinstate those cultural references. I often have Keanu on my, um, on my slides. And you're right, some people are like,
1: eh. Yeah, I used to have a picture of Morpheus, you know, and kind of sent up on that. But yeah, so maybe we'll dig those back out again. But other than that, I, I, I haven't uh, been
0: approached by Hollywood. Ah, uh, now that's exactly the sort of thing that someone who'd signed a non-disclosure agreement with Hollywood would say. I,
1: I did, I think I'm allowed to say, I did not appear in a Harry Potter film. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, long story short, I found myself on the set when they were filming one of the, yeah, a couple of Harry Potter films. Have you seen Chamber of Secrets? I think it is. Yeah, basically, yeah, I mean, all Harry and the, the, the gang, they're asleep in the main Grand Hall, Hmm. They're, they're sleeping there and there's a scene where Professor Snape and Dumbledore I'm not sure if you know these cultural reference points, is, but they're walking down this this great hall while Harry is pretended to be asleep but he's not really well if you look carefully there's these the posts I'm actually stood behind one of them You can't see me obviously otherwise they'd edit that bit but yeah, I and my son and daughter were stood behind that poster so that's the, that's the nearest I'll ever get to greatness it's quite it's quite a tale.
0: Wow, my jaw is on the floor. I know, yeah. And I will have to reprimand my search department. They didn't know yeah. that you were standing behind that pillar.
1: Probably have to, I'm to. i supposed to probably sign some official secrets thing, but I, don't, I think it's probably too late now. It's okay, I can't get done for that.
0: But yeah, I was
1: very, very fortunate to be on the set of Harry Potter while I was doing some of that stuff. Weirdly, uh, myself and Neil Kinnock, the former <laughs> Labour leader, and <laughs> were there that day, which is lovely. And he was a, a lovely guy. It's all part of these weird things that happen, isn't it? And you
0: think, am I dreaming? Is this yeah. is a trip. But no, that, that was real. Stop it, get you with your name dropping. I know, little kid name dropping. <laughs>
1: eh? I know. And Warwick Davis, you know, who plays Professor Flickwick? Yeah, the, the original Ewok. He was there, lovely guy, chatting, you know, showing us around this kind of stuff. But anyway, we weren't, we weren't here to talk
0: about my celebrity connections. I'm easily diverted, so let me try and move myself back to my questions. Jim, I'd like to invite you to share a little bit more about your background, how you've got to where you've got to today, maybe by sharing a pivotal moment or two in your life or your career.
1: Sure. I guess, firstly, and I did have the pleasure of listening to Ray, and he did say about These are stories that we tell. They're one of a number of different versions of the story, and we hold them lightly. So I guess that the story is how I got one version of how I got to here. I guess I didn't really know about psychology. When I was a teenager, I worked in a number of places, care homes, uh, support worker for people with intellectual disabilities or learning disabilities, as they're known. And I really enjoyed that, just supporting people, getting on with their everyday stuff and being more independent. And then I wanted to go to university, but I didn't really know what to do you know you don't know what you don't know so i purely chose well i chose my a levels based on my gcses i thought look the grades i got best at, i'm probably okay so i'll just go then which didn't quite work out and then for uni i didn't know what course to do but i realized that some places the number of points you need to get in was different you know there were some places that were really high and i thought i'm just not sure if i'd get that so i actually started doing uh p P and RS and philosophy I think
0: because
1: <laughs> I I wanted to get to Liverpool partly for the football and just because it looked so different to Brighton the south coast and I thought it just looks like a great place so I started doing that but then when I got there I wanted to switch because I'd always been doing sociology which I really enjoyed and then I'd done a bit of psychology and I thought look I've arrived here to do PE I haven't even got a PE kit that was just the easiest way in But they managed to swap me. So I ended up doing psychology and sociology. So that was great. And then found out about clinical psychology as a career, what have you. And I guess I'd carried on doing bits of care work through university, then got assistant posts. And I don't know if you know the pathway to clinical psychology. It's quite difficult to get into. So, you know, you apply to get a doctorate. And I'd applied a few times and not heard anything back at all. Well, I just got rejected straight away. So I thought, that's fair enough, I didn't really have what it takes, and that's okay. So I sort of got rid of my psychology stuff and thought, I've just taken a different career. Unknown to me, I must have been on the reserve list for an interview, because Manchester phoned up and said, basically, that we've got some gaps tomorrow if you want to come along for an interview. But I didn't even know I was on the list. And actually, my son had been born that morning. So yeah, my son had been born at two in the morning. And I think I'd just been out to get some nappies and got this phone message. So I was not in the zone at all. I went to the interview anyway. I think I had to go to the shop and it was just down the road. So I, I did go in there. I, I hadn't prepared, you know, and I think the clinical part of the interview, that was fine, you know, I'd had plenty of clinical experience. But for the academic stuff, I, I think I just said, look, I was gonna cram last night, but I've got a little baby. Be a little baby boy was last, you know, born last night. And if you look at baby's eyes, you know, you can't put a baby down and start reading the book. So I didn't really know the questions that they were asking. I'm not sure what I would do now either. But it was a great experience. But speaking to the other people in the waiting area, they just seemed great. Much more experienced and knowledgeable. And I thought, that's fair enough. You know, I showed up and that's okay. That's cool. I, you know, I, I've got a, a lovely son, a lovely daughter now. Couldn't be happier. And I'm off. So I never actually got back to them. I think you could have phoned back to see if you got a place. But they sent me a letter about a week later saying, we did notice you haven't called us, but you have got a place on it. So I've been very, very fortunate, you know, to get onto these places. And then that just opens up a whole world. Mm. And I think throughout my training, I kind of enjoyed every area, you know, that you go through older adults and intellectual disabilities and adult. So I didn't really know what to do when I started, when I qualified. So I went through a few different areas and you just learn more. And I think when you work in adult services, you think, okay, oh. this is great, but maybe for this person, if something could have been done a bit earlier, that would have useful to them so if we could have done some sort of intervention when they're a younger person or when they're a child and then you start working adolescent services saying yeah this is great and maybe we could get a bit further back and do some more early intervention stuff so i've kind of just gone around different areas and then about i don't know getting on 10 years ago now an opportunity came up to set up the medical pediatric psychology so that's working with children young people long-term health conditions And at that time, I'd also been, you know, reading up lots of stuff on positive psychology and teamwork and various different bits and pieces. So I thought, well, there'd be an opportunity there. If you start a service, you could build it the way you'd want it to be, you know, rather than inheriting things. Uh, And of course, again, I didn't really know what I was doing. But up in, I was in Glasgow at the time. But there's the, the pediatric psychology network. There's a UK part of it and there's a Scottish part. And that's just a bunch of psychologists, psychological therapists who work in this area. And I went up and I met them, and it was fantastic. They were so generous. You know, they were so generous with the information they had and said, okay, we've tried these things, these things don't work so much. So I really learned a lot from them. And when I went into the new place, I was just taking those ideas and building on it. So I think right from the start of working in PEACH, you kind of realize the importance of teams and systems. And there's a real area where you can just do some really good psychology stuff. So I think it was a good match, myself and paediatrics. And then just about that time, the paediatric network and NEST, the NHS Education of Scotland, they arranged for David Glanders to do some ACT training with us as a group, which was great. So just moved into this new area thinking, OK, I love CBT and those approaches, but I'm not sure if they quite work here because the reality, if you listen back to race. Episode, he puts this very nicely. The reality is that sometimes that may be appropriate, but sometimes people's context is that, well, the rea- that's the reality of the situation. We can't necessarily outthink our way from this. There's a role here for being able to allow some difficult thoughts and feelings. So I did the workshop, and that was absolutely fantastic. And then I did that usual thing that you go back to normal day to day stuff and leave the notes and handouts in the, from the workshop in your bag for about six months, thinking that you're magically learning by osmosis. But then gradually started to do some more act type stuff and then heard about Louise Hayes and stuff. You know, Louise Hayes, Joseph Cherokee, get out of your mind, get in your life for teens, which was just incredible. I went to her workshop years ago and thought, OK, this is really what it's all about. It's such a great model to use and there's so much behind it. So we started using it and it really, really worked well here. And then, of course, that's gone on and become the thriving adolescent, the DNAV model, which just fits so well here. So it's been a real joy and a privilege to use these approaches in this setting. And as you know, it's kind of scaled up from that individual work to team level stuff. And that's where it really gets exciting.
0: Jim, that's incredible what I'm hearing. And what I notice is this curiosity from you to check out new stuff, to ask people questions. And what I love is hearing about how you started working with adults and then thought, oh, if we got this science in it, this is my Simplified yeah. interpretation, and I might not have got it quite right. But if we get this stuff in earlier, we're furnishing people with skills that will support them throughout their lives. Is that kind of the the motivation behind it? Because I see curiosity and flexibility there. Yeah,
1: I guess that's one story. And I guess, yeah, there's some truth to that. I was only a teenager at the time, and I was in a psychiatric hospital in, uh, in America. And I don't know how I managed to wangle that. I, I think, you know, I was very, very fortunate. But there was this guy there, Charlie. He was a psychiatric social worker. And I think he clearly someone said, look, we've got this English kid. You know, just let him follow you around for a week, and, and then that's great. But he was a wonderful guy. And obviously, this is a whole, that whole world was new to me. And I was just asking him, you know, we have been to various different group therapy things and just hearing people's stories. And I remember saying to him about, how do you do this for this number of years? You know, does it not kind of get you down? when You hear these stories and trauma. And I think on my memory of it, he said something like, well, you know, you can learn from every person. From every encounter, you can learn something more, which can be useful to you. And it just, it just made it sound so easy, just, just this approach to life. And it's kind of stuck with me that you can just keep on learning from every person, which makes it pretty cool because the more people you work with, the more teams you see, you're just on that process all the time. So you hear from people's stories and also you can ask how they managed to survive, how they managed to get through, how they function, what matters to them. And then with permission or whatever, in some version of it, you can pass it on to someone else who mm. may be struggling with a similar issue. It's a really nice interconnected world.
0: And, and when you mentioned Glasgow, I remember myself and Paul were there sort of octoberish last year working with the team up in glasgow and there were a few of your colleagues in paediatrics there as well yeah. so we we're talking quite a bit about you and pro-social and they were just such a great bunch yeah absolutely we meet up
1: a couple of times a year there's such a nice community so you know the the idea of the pro-social and acbs and these communities and balancing individual and group needs i think that the, the glasgow you know the, the PPN the spn they've been doing that they've been doing that for years Mm. they haven't been calling that or necessarily just uh, sticking with one model but but that's that's certainly the the feeling you get from it so yeah I'm always really grateful to that bunch because that's like the big hospital here the the tertiary center. so it's great to have those relationships with them so if I'm stuck on an area I can just give them a shout and which goes back again to that pro social I know we're not onto it yet about that eighth core design principle about how teams get on with other teams. It's just, it's there, it's so obvious.
0: But maybe we'll come back to that later on. Definitely. I want to just pause there just to ask you another question and then we'll, we'll come back and dive into sure. some more stuff around The Matrix and pro social. But I want to ask you that question I ask quite a few of my guests about a song. Is there a song you'd like to announce your arrival in a room or any <laughs> online location? And this wouldn't be forever, it would just play when you entered rooms at home or at work over the next few months. Is there anything you'd choose? Anything springs to mind? Yeah. So obviously I, as I said, I would completely overthink that Think, Oh, it needs to be the right song. You know,
1: you've got your, your P supers. Mm. Uh, And by the way, am I a P super now? If I've, I've been listening to it. Is there like a, do I get a badge or something?
0: What I do have for you is a
1: bookmark. Yes, I Yes, I'd love a bookmark. And I, I liked your information about a bookmark. You said it helps you keep your... Oh, that is actually good. Yeah. For those peace supers are listening, Ross actually showing me that on the screen in case you're thinking about some telepathic thing going on here.
0: Yeah, it doesn't yeah, work like, that well over radio, does it? <laughs> no,
1: but I, I like the way that you introduced it on your podcast and said it helps you keep your place in, in books. Mm-hmm. I'd be honoured to, uh, to take that. So, yes, yeah, so I was listening to and I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I need to get the perfect song. And if I if I say one song, then that's, mis- mis- dif- you know, that's, that's missing out on other ones. And different songs are different. And I just go in circles about it. So I think, look, let's just not overthink it too much. If I just explain the context here, you know, as part of our work, we do a lot of training, a lot of workshops and work in the NHS. So sometimes people are really busy. We go to wards and clinics rather than... Expecting people to be able to come out of wards to us. And that's great. But sometimes you turn up and someone's on annual leave or their staff sickness. So you prepare for 20 people and maybe only two can make it. You know, one person is in the wrong room and the other one is sometimes a student who's been told because they were spared, you know, just go in there because they've got a tick box of going to some teaching. Or the NHS IT security, it's like CIA or something, and the password is at work. And then I can't log on to the system. And you start noting those thoughts. Oh my God, if I can't get my PowerPoints, I forget everything. You know, I, I can't even, I don't know who I am. I forget everything. So you end up with a flip chart and a bit of paper. And normally the pen, you know, runs out. Some people overcome this by actually planning and preparing. But we still haven't actually learnt that lesson. We still go and make the same mistake. So that's the kind of context. But we probably spend more time thinking, or I do, about imaginary walk-on songs and the theatricals we'd like rather than the actual workshop which probably says a lot you know so (laughs) so we we have various different ideas about wouldn't that be amazing if we did that imagine that so i I think one version we'd like is the this is not the song this is one possibility my my manager suggested this one the greatest showman can you imagine a workshop the lights go down okay it starts off that rumbling music this is what you're waiting for lights come up And I'm there, top hat, cape, doing that that pose that Hugh Jackman's doing. See that?
0: I'm all over a cape, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. I think I
1: did suggest to my manager, I think I I asked if I could wear a cape into a workshop. (laughs) And I think she humours me by saying, you know, but uh, yeah. but So she said maybe the greatest showman. And I think that's a nod to me, perhaps the kind of smoke and mirrors. Mm. If we just go in there and make this a great spectacle, hopefully people won't notice that we don't really know what we're talking about. But that was my choice. But I think the other day I saw the Eurovision film. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet. Saga of. I haven't, not fire. yet. Because you know the Eurovision Song Contest isn't going ahead this year. So Netflix have got a, it's a film which kind of celebrates the Eurovision Song mm. Contest. My daughter, one of my daughters is a big fan of Euro, and certainly my sisters are. They have a party about it every year. And I don't know, they dress up and all, all the rest of it, and various different games they do for it. So, they were into this film as well, and I was watching it. It kind of celebrates the kitschness and the diversity of, of Eurovision that, you know, I'm, I'm not a big knowledge in it myself, but I sat with her and we watched it. And there's a scene when the, the song's Double Trouble. If you haven't seen the film, it won't mean anything to you, but maybe some of your P Supers will have watched it. Mm-hmm. So, I was thinking in, in this song, Double Trouble, the lady is singing start on the stage and will fail in this full costume. He's lowered onto the stage in a giant hamster wheel, with uh, Graham Norton making observations about, uh, that's not as terrible as I thought it was gonna be, you know? Mm. I mean, that, so I think at the moment, that would probably be the song. I'm not sure if Manchester can do that, but I, can you imagine that? He went to workshop, oh, and man. I was lowered down in a hamster wheel, a full adult size one.
0: Oh God, I'm just thinking, how the hell can we do this? Is this gonna become a priority? P-Supers, that's it, in the bag. I'd like to thank Jim for being such a joy to chat to. And here's just a snippet of what's to come in part two. I wonder if we could dive into that a bit. It's called Introduction to the Act Matrix. Tell us a bit about it, please.
1: Well, the Act Matrix, its it's just a really useful tool for helping you get clear about what you really care about and then planning how you wanna live your life more in line with your goals and values. Mm. It's just a perspective taking exercise, that, that's what it is. We've been using it for quite a few years now. We've used it individually with children, with, with young people. We've used it at team levels, we've used it at family levels. And in the recent COVID situation, we've just been running out training on it across, I think have done 60 or 70 different workshops on it now. So just a really versatile tool which um, I'm now more convinced anyone could just come along, pick up and either use it for themselves or share with colleagues.
0: If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. And now, before I sign off, our new feature... Welcome to the gallery. This is where I'll highlight interesting stuff from contextual behavioural science, like resources, research and opportunities. This week, it's a short video from Dr. Tom Richardson from Solent NHS Trust. He's produced a short and excellent video, sharing some metaphors for the mind. Whether your mind is like a judgement factory or a blame machine, it's beautifully done and well worth sharing in training and with clients. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Richardson, and the link is in the show notes. Peace Supers, I love to hear from you, and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. On Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic, and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, Peace Supers, and bye for now
1: me you're there you've got Ray absolutely wonderful just what a fantastic guy if I could choose I'd go and see him again great stuff I'm gonna need to up my game he's such a great act person all-round great guy but will he have a giant hamster wheel that's what I'm saying is he really going to commit to it